The opinions expressed in the following program are provided for general information purposes only and should not be construed as advice from CJAD 800 or Bell Media. The following is sponsored content. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller-Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur presented by FL Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar and in for Josh Miller today is Michael Newton of FL. Welcome back, Michael. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks. Josh will be back soon. And uh, this evening, we're actually going to do something we've never done before. I'm really excited about tonight's topic. We have never profiled an entrepreneur who owns a professional sports franchise. Uh, we tried to get the Molsons, but they didn't come. Uh, <laughs> kidding. We'll have uh, a, we'll have uh, a John Struthers from the Montreal East Rangers Junior AAA hockey team. I have so many questions for John uh, about what this what his this fascinating uh, business must be like. But uh, we'll, we'll get to John in a few minutes. I have a funny feeling I'm not going to get a word in edgewise <laughs> next to your questions. Uh, Patrick Sullivan will also be along, FL trustee, uh, on talking about uh, asset based financing. That's all on the way this evening. But first, as usual, uh, entrepreneurial news and notes, and let's. Let's begin with this uh, study. Uh, interesting one, looking at uh, at CEOs and their attitudes uh, going into uh, into this new year, um, particularly on stuff like artificial intelligence uh, and also uh, confidence. Uh, this this is one of the findings from this survey from uh, Markham Hofstra, and uh, confidence is where we'll start this evening. Are are leaders of businesses? confident heading into 2020? Yeah, so the numbers are still actually quite high. Uh, they, they are down in Q1 of 2020 from Q4 of uh, 2019. The numbers are still, though, uh, very favorable. What we're starting to see is a little bit of concern. This is mostly in the mid-market CEO range. Um, but investment is still quite high, projected for the rest of this year in technology, in equipment, and uh, most importantly, I guess, in uh, the ever-elusive uh, talent war. So why why do you think uh, it's breaking down that way? Do you think that uh, is, is it the Trump's presidency that's having sort of a supercharging effect on on some multinationals? Yeah, there, I mean, there's no doubt that the the positive economic environment in the U.S. still continues to buzz along, though I think it's more sector driven than it is uh, a, a general statement. Uh, however, I think the investment numbers that you're seeing, technology, like I said, technology, equipment, and people, is something that is always going to be at the forefront of investment, regardless of whether consumer confidence or sorry, business confidence is high. It's, then it's just a question of relativity. In terms of uh, artificial intelligence, that's also something that the report uh, dug into a little bit. Um, more of a wait and see attitude, it seems, based on the numbers. Yeah, the AI side is uh, is seems to be uh, lagging a little bit in terms of the overall uh, implementation of AI. I think this was a really big buzz two, three, four years ago. Uh, a lot of people figured uh, within major industries that we would be seeing AI pervasive. Uh, at this point, is very uh, particular use, and I think you're looking at, you know. Probably about, I, my memory serves somewhere around 50 or 56% of the firms that are actually considering using AI, and nobody is, you know, very few have used it 100% implementation at this point. The, uh, the Markham Accounting uh, Advisor Company asked CEOs, uh, what is your view of the current business environment? And the, on a scale of 1 to 10, the most popular answer uh, with 27% was actually 10. So yeah. highly, highly favorable, which, is, which goes against what we're seeing in news media a lot of the time. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, there, there's always been a disconnect, I think, between uh, leading sectors and general uh, economic environment and, and, and confidence. Uh, there are a lot of people that are still very positive what's what's going on. I mean, I think if you wait and see what happens over the next few days or weeks with the, the impeachment trial, you may get a different feel going forward. But as it is right now, it's it still, still seem full steam ahead. I mean, whether that's, you know, these the, remember, these are talking about the next few quarters. We're not talking about the next few years here. And when it comes to uh, all of the the factors that influence what CEOs are going to do in the next year, if they had to choose number one, that number one was talent for 2020. Correct. Um, All right. So let's move on uh, from that. And uh, another survey on the employee side. This is from Inside Public Accounting uh, that uh, suggests that uh, culture is uh, really one of the increasingly uh, huge and, and essential components to any HR plan. Yeah, I mean, I think what's happened now is the corporate culture environment is starting to displace the EI or the emotional intelligence component of what we've seen in the in, as the buzz in the media. Uh, there is a very strong push to build on culture, which you know some people think culture is a, is it a fun place to work, but really it's a it's a combination of a number of factors, and culture continues to uh, to be a very hot topic. Uh, funny enough, the difference between the culture of so if you look at professional firms. The culture conception of owners versus staff is very different. The owners have a much higher sense of how positive their culture is than a lot of their employees do. Um, some of the factors that influence culture, I'll read off a bunch of them if you have any thoughts. Uh, agility, alignment, collaboration. Yeah, I, I think, you know, if you're, if you're certainly if you're looking at the younger uh, in the millennial group environment working in, in, in these areas, what are you looking at? You're looking at people that, that want to work together. They want to work for the greater good. Uh, they want to have an environment that is conducive to uh, making a difference in the world. So they want to, you know, that's that's their philosophical approach to life. So obviously their their business or their corporate world needs to mirror that in order for them to be truly happy. Another one on the list is engagement. Um, I, I had to do some research recently on on something called presenteeism, which I wasn't really familiar with before. Uh, absenteeism, we all know what it is, of course. Presenteeism is when you're present, but psychologically absent. It's a little bit like when your wife looks at you and says, are you paying attention? Are you present in the conversation? <laughs> so, you know, you can be at work, but not necessarily being productive. And and I think that this is, engagement is is probably the key one on there. And, and because the problem is, is everybody's concept of engagement or what turns them on to go to work every day is going to be different. So, you know, in, in a professional environment, you're going to have a base, uh, you know, intellectual level and stimulus need and everything else. But then once I get to peak performance, what may motivate you, Dan, is not the same thing that's going to motivate Patrick or John at the end of the day. And how do you build a corporate culture that envisions, you know, 50 or 100 different personalities to try and get a full engagement level? So reward is actually listed on there as well in terms of uh, developing a positive culture. How do you reward employees these days without being politically incorrect or uh, getting into dicey waters? Well, you know, the interesting uh, conversation we had the other day is when, you know, when we were growing up or the older generation, if you got, you know, somebody gave you the prime parking spot by the front door with your name on it, that was kind of like, hey, wow, you know, somebody has recognized the influence and the, and, and the effort that you did. Try give them a parking spot now and they're going to tell you that you're effing up the, uh, the uh, what's the right, the carbon footprint and, and everything. <laughs> else that uh, comes with it so you know the reality is 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 what's driving them is the important area is to make sure that you continue to focus uh, on the needs and the desires of the staff and not put in place what you and I would think they want but rather what they want 
Work-life balance, that's a popular one in Quebec that's talked about a lot. Uh, the uh, réconciliation travail-famille. Yeah. Um, what, what would be your advice to an entrepreneur who's uh, who needs to look out for that? You've picked a topic that is probably the biggest thorn in my side. The term work-life balance, in my mind, is becoming something that represents why I don't want to do something as opposed to why I'm doing it. Uh, the reality and the concept, again, is generational. I think there's a very big difference between uh, generations in terms of where they see their career and their commitment involved. This problem by far the most challenging on a work-life balance because of the, the philosophical approach to the Quebec worker. Uh, and there is very, very difficult to find that, that, that firm balance. I mean, if you look at our organization, in the past year, we've gone to uh, flex time. We have gone to telecommuting. We have gone to, uh, you know, dress for your day. And a lot of these things ultimately are about trying to create a work-life balance that allows people to get in as much. The other issue you have is for a lot of that mid-range worker, they're the sandwich generation. They're dealing with their parents and with their kids and trying to find some kind of balance where they're not taking one or the other group to the doctor or something is is, is very imposing. Lastly, this column from Inc.com. It, uh, even if you love your logo, it still may be off-brand. Here's how to create a better design. We spoke about this a little last week when we, uh, we had uh, Kim Fuller of Phil, a branding agency, on the program, and we talked about how difficult and frustrating it is to come up with a good logo. I mean, it took me a quarter, basically, like three, three four months to do it. Yeah. Um, what, what, have you had similar experiences? Yeah, you know, it's funny because the, you know, the, the, the recommendation is the visceral um, recognition is half a second. You know, a person goes to your website and within half a second, they're going to decide whether they're staying or leaving your website. That's how quickly you have to grab them. So whether that is a brand, whether it's a vision of the website, uh, and a lot of things that we have problems with are the consistency. So you have a website that may differ in vision and in look and feel from a print uh, brand or a print logo and, uh, you know, the colors. And, and, and those are certain areas where, unfortunately, I think as professional firms, we think they're worth a lot more than they really are at the end of the day. They, the, you've got to look at the business, you have to look at the environment, you have to look at you know, whether that's going to be there. But certainly on the front page of a, of a website, you've got to catch them right away. And also just have, have a message behind it. Even if it's not obvious, there should be a story behind your logo. And I think that's hugely important. Do a brainstorming session, you know, throw out adjectives that you put on the, on the chalkboard and uh, just make sure it's true to you. And I also think, you, you know, you should be explaining that. It should be part of your website. You should explain why we chose that logo, what it means to us, where that emphasis is, or everybody in your organization should be able to say, hey, you know, this is where, this is where we see things. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD 800. Coming up next, we're going to speak to John Struthers, the owner of the Montreal East Rangers Junior AAA Hockey Team, our first professional sports franchise, uh, profiled in the program tonight. So that's on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller-Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by FL Montreal, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar, and in for Josh Miller today is Michael Newton of FL. And first, we, we've never done a sports franchise before, Michael. This is exciting. John Struthers is here. He's the owner of the Montreal East Rangers Junior AAA hockey team. Welcome, John. Gentlemen. So the first question, Mike, you want to take it away? It's the easiest one of the night. Well, I, I guess the first question I was going to uh, is maybe correct our stance from before the commercial. Yes. <laughs> at, at the end of the day, this is not a professional uh, uh, league. This is an amateur league, which yep. uh, you know the players are paid. The co- sorry, the players are not paid. The coaches players are, are paid, paid. The staff is paid, yeah. but the players are not paid. And I think correct. you can. We'll, we'll we'll delve into that a little bit little bit later. But 
give us where you come from. Why, you know, your history, your love of the sport. Uh, you, did you play hockey in college? That type of feedback for us. So I'm your, your, your typical, I guess, Montrealer or typical Canadian for that matter. And, and uh, I grew up playing the game. I was lucky enough to to play junior hockey. I played briefly in this league, and I played in the uh, in which is now the OJHL, which mm-hmm. is in, in in Ontario. And and I played college hockey in Division Three, at, at SUNY Potsdam. Mm-hmm. I was a little short, a little bit fat, and a little bit slow. So things ended at that point. We get along really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was my reality. Yeah. And uh, no, I we myself and two others got involved um, with this organization two years ago or a year and a half ago and uh, you know we've taken it from there so it's a profit oriented business in theory in, in practice theory. there's not a lot of money to be made so what drives you to get involved what is that pre it's, it's certainly not about lining your pockets with cash no no no, no none whatsoever <laughs> um, you know we looked at it you know when we sat down you know, my, my, my two business and we, and we looked at the opera Jenny Cantini and Eric Raymond we looked at this and we and we looked at the opportunity to develop something, uh, an organization that at the end of the day, hockey has given to us. And we felt in the same manner that we can give back. Um, Jani's played Division One hockey at, at Brown University. He had an excellent hockey career. Eric is, is heavily involved in minor hockey uh, in Montreal. He, he's, he has hockey schools and so forth. And the three of us, you know, we sat down and we looked at it and we said, okay, how can we participate and, and and try to inch by inch make something a little bit more valuable and, and provide a better product and service for, for for kids between the ages of 17 and 20. So really this is about developing hockey players. It it's, really is a, uh, you know, even though like I said it's profit oriented, it's kind of philanthropic at the end of the day in terms of trying to do this forward. You've got a bunch of volunteers, you've got yourselves that aren't looking to make, you're really looking to try and move hockey forward in Quebec. The, the goal at the end of the day is, is you, you You've got to develop. You've got to. We're we're a step in the process. So our players will will either the younger players will go, you know, hopefully go and, and maybe graduate and play in the in Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. We have other players that will hopefully move on and 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 go into NCAA Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, or play U Sports, and then others that that are lucky enough to play pro, be it in Europe or or in the United States. But our goal is we're one step in the in in the in the process. Walk me through the process of purchasing the franchise and then eventually your first day at work. I mean, you, you get into into the workplace. What are you doing as an entrepreneur to to get the house in order? We, the three of us sat down. Um, there was an opportunity f- with with uh, in Montreal East where there, there was a group that, that basically, they, they laid the foundation. There was something there for, for us to work with and, and to build upon. They did an excellent job. And, and ultimately, without them, we wouldn't have been able to really, in the, in the short time that we've been there, uh, been able to, to, to take it even to today and to tomorrow and so forth. But we, we sat down and we said, look, what can we add between the three of us, each within a little, again, the cog in the wheel, so to speak. And, and we each looked at this and said, okay, you'll take this aspect, you take this aspect, and you take this aspect. And we looked at the organization, the structure, their community involvement, uh, the participation within the city, and, 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 and what, you know, the structure, the rink, you know, what was available to the players and, and so forth. And we felt, hey, there's an opportunity to build here. And, and that's kind of like in any business. What was the opportunity to grow this? So this organization has been around 15 to 20 oh, years, I think, absolutely. somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. And you, yeah. you bought it a couple of years ago. So, you know, the first question is going to be, how do you generate revenue? And, and, and where are you finding sources of revenue other than your bank account? <laughs> it's, it's, a, 
we, Jenny and I had lunch today and, and it's just, it's a constant topic of discussion and you have to be creative. Advertising revenue is critical for us. Our partners who, who, who buy advertising, be it on the boards at the rink or, um, you know, within our program, that that's a source. Attendance is a source. And, you know, we, we with Eric, uh, his guidance, we put together a hockey school and we have a two week hockey school, which we're looking at expanding to four where we do a showcase that that showcases, you know, 15, 16 year olds in and around that age group for them to be recruited to junior hockey as well, be it our team or other teams across Canada into the United States. So all these different elements, you know, come together to that allow us to, at the end of the day, reduce, you know, whatever the the, the, the red is and, and slowly but surely try to keep and get into the black. Talk to us maybe a bit about the arena. I mean, it's a, it's not a privately, you don't own the arena. No, no, You're the city. Out of, city the owns city owns it. it. Yes, yeah. uh, how many people does it seat? What's... A thousand. Give or okay. take, it's a thousand. So it's a, um, city of Montreal East is a, a standalone city. Um, the mayor is a super, super, you know, individual who, who he assists us, guides us, you know, nudges us and, and, uh, you know, we ask a lot of questions and, and we're fortunate enough that we have a facility that's, there's a pool, there's multiple gyms and we have a setup that, that, you know, a, a locker room with a training room and, and a coach's office and so forth that really is, is, is top notch and top tier that the city provides us with. Um, and they just support us through this. And they, uh, the most important thing, regardless if it's, if it's a, a, a sponsorship or whatever it is, they guide us to allow us to, you know, to continue to make this work properly. The, uh, I think Quebec is a couple of years behind. If I look at Western Canada in terms of how they've developed their leagues, their facilities, I mean, you're talking about, you know, weight rooms. and all, I mean, this is stuff that maybe for Quebec hockey is relatively new and having a full-service arena environment where this has predominantly been the case out West for a number of years, even into Ontario. No question. You know, there are, we're, we seem to be playing catch-up, which may also be reflected a little bit in the queue of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League in terms of, you know, the number of players that are feeding out compared to what used to the the in speaking you know when we look at our facilities at the end of the day and and or when and, and with social media it's fantastic because you can get a, a a a true picture of what goes on in other organizations across the country and you just look at some of these these facilities in western canada as you mentioned or, or in in the ontario hockey league i mean it's top notch heavy duty um weight rooms and so on and so forth. So, you know, the, the, the student athlete, if that's the term or the athlete uh, is looking for what, what types of services and, and, and programs and facilities do you have, uh, that, that will lead me to, that, that will better my, my, you know, my ability on the ice and so on and so forth. So, you know, that's what we're trying to, 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 uh, emulate. Today's Entrepreneur on CJD 800. We're joined by John Struthers, owner of the Montreal East Rangers Junior AAA Hockey Team. So we'll talk about HR, marketing, and more. Uh, Patrick Sullivan will be along, FL's trustee on uh, asset-based financing with some tips for you. On the way, today's Entrepreneur on CJD 800. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller-Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur presented by FL Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Michael Newton, in for Josh Miller tonight. And uh, we're doing a first, actually, tonight. We're speaking with the uh, owner of a, a hockey team, John Struthers, the owner of the Montreal East Rangers Junior AAA. And uh, John, uh, one, of, one thing that makes the news often when it comes to uh, junior hockey is the customer service, or in this case, the, the parents, the fans in the sta- stands can get unruly sometimes when their kids are involved. Um, have you had any interesting experiences in that respect? And how do you maintain, uh, I, I guess, uh, a, a peaceful, uh, uh, friendly atmosphere in your in your buildings? Oh, <laughs> you know, where do we start? No, 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 no. You know what? We've been lucky um, that you know for the for, I can only speak for the last two years of the games that I've gone to that you know you 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 have not so much in our rink, but but certainly you hear different stories and and. Uh, some of them are, are enjoyable and some of them are a little bit less enjoyable. But you know what? The parents are engaged. The parents are, are, are you know, they're more educated. And I don't even know if that's a right term to use, but they know more and more and more about the game and, and all the intricacies associated with, associated with it, excuse me, that, you know, they're following it from a multitude of different ways as opposed to just what's going on in front of them, how their, you know, their, their son is playing, uh, how many shifts, all these different aspects that you know, that, uh, take it, uh, that, that f- forces us to stay on our toes and make sure that we're, you know, at keeping it as, as, as easy and seamless as possible. Well, you're dealing with 16 and 17 year olds. So you're dealing with parents who are 18 year olds. You're dealing with parents who still have high aspirations. No question. Whether that is, you know, getting a full ride to go to university in the States to play hockey, whether it's a chance to play pro in Europe or, you know, the ultimate holy grail of playing in the NHL at a certain point in time. Um, maybe talk to us a little bit about the drafting process, how, you know, your team gets built, the effects of your team on the next level of uh, recruitment and draft and, and how that works its way through. So our draft usually takes place a week or so after the Quebec Major Junior draft. And then we're one of two teams on the island of Montreal the West Island Shamrocks are on the West side and we're on the East side. So we, all of our teams have a, a small little territory call it. And then we tend to choose people that are, are, you know, geographically, um, within, you know, within a geographic distance that, that, you know, it's easy for them to, you know, we've got you know two practices a week or two or three practices a week and on a off ice training. So the, 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 um, the student athlete is, is at the ring quite often. So, Part and parcel of it is we have a draft. The the you know the, they'll either make a decision to to you know join our team or they'll make a decision to you know to go to the queue or they'll go you know another route. And our our challenge is specifically that is is selling the product and selling the service and the value of of what we have to offer on our team and and within our league. And it's it's a competitive competitive environment. You've got leagues in, in, in the U.S. that are, are the, the product is getting better and better. And you've got leagues in Canada that have, have solid programs. And we have a lot of work to do to to prove and to sell the value of what we're, we're providing and the opportunity for that student athlete to, to go on, be again, as you mentioned, be it down to the States or in youth sports or, or off uh, to Europe to play, to play professional hockey. Used the term before. Uh, the parents are more educated. I think if you want to consider, most of the parents now have taken into account where possible what the options are for their kids next in line, and I think that might present itself to be a bit of a challenge at the end of the day. Well, you know, a parent, if 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 your child is skating at at two years old and and playing 
you know, novice or might or whatever it is at, at five, six. I mean, the parent has invested an enormous amount of time and, 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 and money and, and so forth and made commitments that, you know, over the 10, 15 years that, 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 you know, that their son or daughter for that matter has played, played hockey. You know, the parent understands, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. And this is what we're looking for, for, for our child going forward. So they're aware of all the different avenues that are available to their kids, uh, let alone ours. Do you have have the ability to trade? We do. We do. Okay. I mean, that's, that's Jenny, Jenny and his team. Um, you know, I, I stay away from, I stay away from the locker room. I stay away from, you know, hockey decisions. And, and I think that's what allows our organization to work well. Um, we we're just, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that, that we're surrounded by good people who know what they're doing. And, and again, hockey today is, is dramatically different than where it was, you know, two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, when I played 20 years ago. Um, I just don't understand the game in the same, in the same manner as, as what it is. What you see on TV is a lot different than what goes on, you know, behind the scenes. One quick thing on competition, by which metrics do, do you personally, uh, judge yourself against the competition besides the win less loss record? It's, you know, we look at, if, if we look at it from a business perspective, because I mean, win loss, and again, what goes on, you know, their, their metrics from a hockey perspective, I mean, are detailed and, and the tools that they have available to them. It's incredible what they're analyzing after the game and prior to the game. And I think it's just going to continue to evolve and evolve at our level. And obviously at the higher levels in professional hockey, it's just incredible, the analytics and so forth. We look at ourselves from a business perspective, attendance is critical you know, how we're reaching the community and, and the message that we're trying to get across and how well that's being received. And at the end of the day, the more we're communicating and the more that we're involved within the communicate within the community, a greater number of people are going to attend to the games. So it's, it's a critical aspect of what we do. Communication, 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 followers on social media, it's, as crazy as it is, it's critical in what we do. You know, I think the, the evolution of hockey, as with most major sports in North America, has, is, I don't even think we can keep up with that evolution as, as to how far it's gone. And I mean, we grew up, I grew up playing minor hockey, and, you know, it was fam- friends and family. It was, you never had the audience, the, the opportunity to go on was limited to a few people at the end of the day. You know, you look at what it takes now to run a major league franchise. Uh, and that kind of, I guess, the, the, the trickle-down effect as it finds itself into a very comp- competitive and uh, highly, I guess, highly regulated for the players and everything is, is changed dramatically since, uh, you know, we grew up playing oh, sports. That's no question. I mean, I just, you know, we have a sports psychologist. We have uh, a nutritionist. We have a variety of different uh, resources available to us that we're providing that years ago it was just it was unheard of. Yeah, we had we had a nutritionist too. They picked up the orange tang what? from the cascuits and <laughs> brought it to the room after. Yeah, that was it, it was two hot dogs for me with exactly. uh, mustard and, and ketchup, please. Exactly. Yeah, thank you. Uh, speaking of HR, though, um, you know what what uh, what are your priorities when it comes to HR? We've spoken with uh, franchise owners on the program who have a lot of young uh, uh, employees. Really sure. high turnover. That's a factor. What what are things that are on your radar? We look for engagement. We look for people to, who are associated and want to be associated with our organization and want to be engaged, who bring different types of ideas to, to the table and, and ask a lot of questions and, and question what we're doing at the end of the day. Um, you know, we just don't have all the answers and we never will have all the answers. And, and we're constantly asking questions on, 
are we doing this right? Is this the right way of doing things? Or, or what do we have to change? And we're looking at, 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 at different organizations and what they're doing. And, and we ask, you know, the, the, the people that are associated with our team to make us better. Because, I mean, it's like in any, any business. If, if they don't, then we never will. All right. It's, it's the battle for talent at the it's end of no the day. Question. You know, and, and you see that trickle-down effect we were talking earlier about the, 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 the dollars associated with the acquisition price of a franchise. And you were saying that, you know, junior hockey franchises out West are going for over a million dollars. You know, you wouldn't think that that is an, you know, anywhere close. You look at even in the queue, some of the the valuations, five to ten million dollars for uh, for for a franchise, and you think, well, this is just you know, minor hockey to a certain degree. Oh, it's it's franchises have a staff of you know, I would assume in the queue. Um, you know, 10, 15 people from a variety of different functions where they'll have full-time, you know, a full-time staff, you know, similar to the Alouettes, yeah. similar to other sport franchises. And and that's what it is. I mean, they're battling for every dollar. And, and uh, when you, you look at specifically in, 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 I don't know if it's the BCHL, um, you know, these are, are, are well-run, well-managed organizations that, you know, in speaking for Montreal East, we have a lot of catching up to do and we're learning. Mm-hmm. We're learning and, and improving our product and how we go to go to market and go to, you know, at the end of the day, go to market. It's it's the product on the ice, but it's right. all the periphery that goes uh, goes along with it. Yeah. I think for the longest time, people thought, well, you know, you bought a sports franchise, if you had money burning a hole in your pocket and you never really looked at it as a business. But if you look at the, like we said, the dollars involved in anywhere from, you know, an NHL franchise to all the way down to some of the juniors, this, you have to look at it like a business. You can't, you know, just say, hey, I'm going to jump into this and, uh, and, and go lightly. We have an operating budget. We analyze that operating budget. We review the operating budget on a regular basis. It's cash flow management. It's payables and receivables. I mean, it's the whole nine yards. And, you know, it'll creep up on you if you're not in line with managing your business. And regardless of what goes on on the ice, you know, we win or lose, our payables still come due. Right. So, I mean, it just doesn't change. John Struthers with us, owner of the Montreal East Rangers Junior AAA Hockey Team. We'll have his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur coming up a little later. Uh, But first, Patrick Sullivan up next. He's a trustee at FL on asset-based financing and some tips if you want to finance your business. That's on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Today's Entrepreneur on CJD 800, Dan Delmar and Michael Newton in for Josh Miller tonight. We're joined by John Struthers, owner of the Montreal East Junior Rangers AAA hockey team. We'll have his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur coming up. Uh, But first, Patrick Sullivan is back, FL trustee. Talk about financing. Welcome back, Patrick. Good to be here. And gentlemen, before we start, I have a joke for you guys. A, uh, A millennial walks into a bank and asks for a loan. The loan officer says, what are your assets? That's the joke. That's, that's, that's it. Okay. We don't have any assets. They're they're in they're in, they're, they're in, they're in the, the parents' name. Well, well, you're, you're not going to be able to get an asset-based financing deal with no assets because <laughs> the word is out there. It's asset-based financing. So basically, what I what we what I wanted to bring up tonight is for entrepreneurs, it is a product called asset-based financing, obviously, which is basically accessible to companies that are going through. Two different realms, either rapid growth or a serious cash crunch. Now, it's called asset-based financing. What does that all mean? It's based on assets, accounts receivable, inventory, 
equipment. The difference between traditional financing and, and the ABL side of things is that you have a lot more flexibility. Normally on traditional banking, you will be providing your banker 21 days after month end with your borrowing base, and that will be the basis for the coming month. In ABL, the biggest advantage is that you can do that weekly. So for example, a rapid growing company, which needs the cash flow because it just signed a big deal, there's going to be substantial receivables. They can easily sell Friday for a million dollars of goods and get a receivable at 85% the following Monday, which is deposited in the bank account. That's the flexibility that asset-based financing provides for. Either a company with rapid growth where management doesn't want to dilute itself or find a partner that'll kick in the cash to sustain the growth. That's a hell of a good product. It It's not really addressed to, to small, small companies though. And we'll get to that. Uh, traditional financing versus ABL, that's probably the mainstream of it where you will probably get more money on your inventory. You will get more money on your receivables in terms of financing. Uh, and it's a lot more flexible. They'll do deals where traditional banking will not do. The other great aspect about ABL is that ratios don't come into play, which helps companies that are either very cash tight, where, you know, banks will look at ratios and say, oh no, you're not at your level here and you're not at your level there. So therefore you're gonna have to kick in some money. ABL doesn't care about ratios. They look at assets and that's the biggest advantage. Downside, because there are downside, smaller corporations. I, I, I always said a deal under a million dollars, forget ABL. You're looking at deals I that probably start at a million dollars up to hundreds of millions of dollars. The costs related to asset-based financing are considerably higher than in traditional banking. You're going to need external consultants that will come in, review, review the receivables, review what we call the borrowing base to make sure that you're not piping the dices and trying to get financing where you should. So it's, it's monitored. There's inventory evaluators that will come in. And another cost related is just putting the thing together. The legal costs are considerable also. The interest rates associated with it themselves are not that much higher. There used to be a bigger gap. But your, your, your incremental costs associated with the professional fees or, or the monitoring costs do bring your interest rate effectiveness much higher. Exactly. They, I mean... The the, uh, the the bank fee per se is somewhat similar to traditional financing, but then when you add all the extra costs, that's where it kicks up. So if things are going well, obviously you're not you're in a larger business here. Is there any reason to do this, or or you really have to be in a bit of a desperate situation? No, actually, uh, there are companies that, uh, as I was saying, that are going through rapid growth. Management, the shareholders don't want to dilute themselves and, and they don't want to kick in the money. They have the, and it's a product that will enable that company to go through its growth, pick up the ratios in the process with the profits, obviously, and eventually 
go back to traditional banking. I've seen clients that went from loans of $2 million to $50 million hmm. that never wanted to come out of VBL because of the flexibility that the product gives them as opposed to traditional banking. And uh, how common is default? And in some cases, do businesses you know, lose their, their most important piece of equipment in these deals? Well, it's like any other company. If, if financial difficulties, yeah, the, the, the bank is going to realize on its security. Uh, technically, a bank, when it gets to that level, uh, it's the same thing in traditional financing. They will they'll call their loans and do whatever they have to do to recover their money. Uh, the advantage in ABL, though, there's somewhat of a protection for the shareholders on that level because since the assets have been monitored, closely rarely do banks lose when they have if ever they have to pull the plug do you do you see situations uh increasing in fraud environment than you would under traditional loans uh i would tend to say that you see less because of that all that monitoring i mean uh you know uh field examiners guys uh, that go in to do reviews they will go quarterly or semi-annually on the deal, sometimes uh, the bank will require that uh, for the first six months, we go every month. Right. And you guys are highly specialized in what you're doing. So when you walk in, you know, I mean, you're not looking for fraud, but you kind of know where the loopholes are. You know where the problems lie. We're going we're gonna to pick it up pretty quickly. So, and that's an environment that traditional banking, they don't have that. So when the economy is booming, fine, but you know, things are starting to tighten up and we're going to see a lot more ABL deals coming through the books. Speaking of millennials, some of our only assets are uh, are largely digital. Uh, is is it more complicated to evaluate uh, those digital assets than say pieces of heavy machinery? Well, if you're talking equipment, you, you have to understand that asset-based financing is mostly on inventory and receivables. Equipment is part of a transaction which will enable to finalize a deal, but really the source is really receivables and inventory. That's the, the ongoing target. It's, it's actually the moving target that provides you with that financing every week. So if you, if you do sales, well, you have the inventory, so that's really the monitoring end of it because a piece of equipment's a piece of equipment. It's not going away. Once it's evaluated, you know what it's worth in the liquidation content. So that's basically it. So John's looking at me going, I got 20 hockey players, a set of jerseys, and some water bottles, and he wants to know how he can go to the bank and finance that. Uh, I would strongly <laughs> recommend you go and see a traditional banker and cross your fingers and... Uh, Maybe uh, get ready to sign a personal guarantee on the deal. 50 pucks with our old logo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the old logos were so much more. They're, so they're, they're historical. Patrick Sullivan, trustee NFL. Thanks so much, Patrick. Pleasure. And finally, John, we turn to you. Uh, John Struthers, owner of the Montreal East Rangers junior AAA hockey team. And uh, we ask you for your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. Planning. Take your time. Plan, plan, and plan. A business plan has to be reworked, worked, reviewed, analyzed, ask questions, and really take your time and plan. All right. Thanks very much. And Michael, uh, you are uh, back next week or not next week? We'll see you soon. I don't know. It's it's too early. It's, okay. it's still a week away. I don't plan that far ahead. All right. Well, we'll see you all back here <laughs> next uh, Monday night at 7 p.m. And don't forget to go to todaysentrepreneur.org for over a decade worth of entrepreneur profiles uh, from this program. And uh, again, Monday night at 7 right here on CJ80. Thank you, Michael Newton. Have a good night. Thanks so much, Dan.
Thanks, John. The opinions expressed in the preceding program were provided for general information purposes only and should not be construed as advice from CJAD 800 or Bell Media. The preceding was sponsored content.